So, uh, the title of my message today is Finding Your True North. If you go on the internet, you'll find a whole load of junk written around that theme, written by kind of new age people, you know, the sort. Uh, took a wrong turning on the way home from Woodstock a few years ago. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how each of us is a piece of God or any of that nonsense. What I'm talking about is how we become what we could be when we discover what God has designed us to do. The writer of the book of Proverbs said this, he said, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I often wonder as I travel around throughout the world, as a matter of fact, how many people sit in churches week by week, feeling that their walk with God is taking place in a very thick fog. They lack any sense of direction in their lives. You ask them about their work, they'll say stuff like, it's a job. They lack any zeal for God and His big idea, the kingdom. They sit in churches thinking how inadequate they are, rather than how amazing God actually is. They read the Bible with its stories of human transformation and extraordinary outcomes, and wonder when it might happen to them. I guess you would say, people who just feel stuck. Classic case of arrested Christian development. I read some words recently of a guy called Wiesel, a, um, a survivor of the Holocaust, Eli Wiesel. He wrote this, he said, The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death. It's indifference. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I want today to make a bold suggestion to you. That much of the apathy that so many of us experience, much of this lack of zeal for God, is because we have lost, indeed, if we ever knew it. We've lost our sense of true north. Our life's purpose is unclear to us. President Vaclav Havel, former president of the Czech Republic, and also a poet, unusually, he said this, he said, human beings do not find fulfillment when they do what they want to do. No, rather they find fulfillment when they know what they are designed to do. I recall three days after my somewhat dramatic conversion to the Christian faith at the age of 18. I went into our local church, didn't have a clue about it or anything to do with it. You know, I never listened to organ music before and that stuff. I'm a kind of uh, unreconstructed rock and roller. So I go in there, bored silly. I went to see the minister to tell him I had given my life to Christ. I was pretty well known in our town for all the wrong reasons. And when I told him I'd become a Christian, I never forget his godly wisdom. He said, oh my God. 
And I said to him, so what do I do now? And he said, come back next week, you can become a server. I didn't know what that meant. He said, go read the Bible. I started in the Bible. You'll know how it starts, that wonderful story of God creating the universe. Chapter 1, cool. Chapter 2, oh. Israel created it again, even cooler. Chapter 3, there's a snake, and it's talking. So I did what a lot of you would do with an unpromising book. I went straight to the back, to the revelation of St. John. <laughs> and this is the 1960s, right? This guy's having all his visions, and if I'm being honest with you, my slightly unregenerate mind was wondering what he was taking, and wondering where I might buy some. And then I read these words. And in a moment, I knew what my life's mission would be. My life's purpose. It says in Revelation 7, After this I looked up, and I saw a great crowd that no man could number from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, and from every nation. And in my naive, immature Christian mind, I made my mind up, this is what God is calling me to. And it's this, that when I get there, when I arrive on that further shore, I want to recognize the faces of some people that my life has touched for the sake of Christ and His amazing gospel. You want to know something? I haven't lost that purpose. It shines brightly in me. And I will use every last breath that I have on this planet to preach the amazing gospel that changed my life and can change your lives. So eventually I get ordained. I find myself in a parish with all the kind of mixed uh, uh, motivations that you find amongst people who uh, sit upon the pews. And I met this guy called Cyril, and Cyril was one of these guys who always, in the choir, right? And he always was at the back of the queue when he went in, so he's in front of the priest. Every time he would go into church, he would turn around and say something really unkind, like, I can't stand it in here when it's full. So I tolerated it uh, patiently for about a month. And then one day we're walking and he turned around and said something, you know, kind of, you know, awful. So I got hold of him. I said, come with me. I put him in the vestry. I went out, whispered in the organist's ear. And I said, play on a little longer. I said to him, so what is the matter with you? He filled up. He started to sob. He said, people don't ask me that. He said, because I'm very well defended. He said, what you need to know is, my wife's in the choir today. She will go home from here. She will go home from here, and she will go to bed, and she will stay in bed till next Sunday morning. He said, and I have to do all the cooking, all the cleaning. He said, we have half an acre of garden. I have to look after that. I'm 86 years old, and I'm bitter. I was starting to feel terrible at this point, to be honest with you. And then he said, and yesterday I had to have my two dogs put down. By the end of it, we were both sobbing together. I said to him, you know, that's understandable to me, but, you know, it's just not what I expect from a Christian brother to be endlessly unpleasant. 
Now, there's another thing about Cyril. He's been in the choir for 57 years. Right? Amazing service. There's a problem. You would think, would you not, on the same principle, that if you gave a monkey a typewriter and left it for long enough, eventually it might type a word. On that same principle, you would think after 57 years in the choir, Cyril would sing a note in tune. And it never happened. So, I said to him, you know, how come you're in the choir? The story is pretty simple. There was a time when the evening service was almost dead and about three people at it. And he said he felt sorry for the vicar, so he thought he'd go and sit up front to keep him company in the choir. It's kind of caring in a way. I said, so what do you like to do? He said, I love, I love working with my hands. I said, well, why don't you leave the choir? And why don't you become our church or job man? 86 years old, that man's life was truly transformed because he found and did what God had called him to do. See, what you need to know is if you are a baptized believer, then 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 tells us the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The New International Version puts it like this, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You all, if you are a baptized Christian, you all are given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. You are unique. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Paul describes Christians as God's poema, God's workmanship. You may look in a mirror and have some doubts, but when God looks at you, God looks at you and sees what you could be. And if we're going to be what God calls us to be, then what we need to do is find our true north. I remember that wonderful moment to you in Luke chapter 19. The people who've attended Canuga are laugh when I refer to Zacchaeus. I once started out there intending to do one message and ended up doing seven messages on the same verses. There's that moment when there's this funny little man in the tree and Jesus is walking along and sees him and, and it says in the English version, it says, uh, Jesus looked up. Actually, the Greek carries this sense that Jesus fixed him in his stare. And I've often wondered what Jesus saw there. This man who was hated by his own community. I think Jesus saw what Zacchaeus could be. And for the first time in his sordid little tax-gathering life, Zacchaeus felt the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And something changed. Finding our true north is about uncovering what my unique gifts might lead me to. Of course, there are some problems with that. Paul says, you know, I need to teach you about spiritual gifts because so many of you are ignorant. This is to a lively church in Corinth. You're ignorant about spiritual gifts, then read Romans 12, read 1 Corinthians 12. It's not an exhaustive list, but it might help you find out what you uh, are gifted to do. The second problem we have is, I talked about this on Monday, is we can be deluded. You can be like Cyril. You can be tone deaf and think that you should sing in a choir. 
But who's honoured by that? Oh, unworthiness. Friends, this is a big deal. A lot of people in church sit there and just feel unworthy. They look at the stained glass around them and see these saints and apostles of old that we enshrine. And they sit there and think, you know what, I could never be like that. And in my view, that's the most self-limiting thing a human being could ever say. So here you go, I want to tell you four things now that I hope might help you find your true north. The first thing is to be honest before God. Honest before God and ask yourself, have I found my true north? You'll know this if you're the kind of person when somebody asks you whether you like your work, you say something like, you know what, it's a job. It pays the bills. I'm not suggesting every one of you should leave here and go give in your notice and leave. It may well be that some of you need to stay doing what you do, but what you need to do is find something that doesn't just motivate you intrinsically, but motivates you extrinsically. It's something you want to do because you really want to do it. It's inside you. Honestly assess, have I found my true north as a human being? Second thing is, where do my passions lie? Okay, I'm not talking about sex here. I'm talking about, what do you really, what, what really flicks your switches? What, what, what makes you? You know, it might be that you're the kind of person who sees what's not happening in Haiti and wants to get on a plane and go there and do something about it. It might be that you have a heart for homeless people and you need to do something about it. It might be that you sit in churches listening to Mike Hill thinking I could do better than that and God's going to be a preacher. <laughs> what connects with what's going on inside you? Third thing is, what would the people, what would the people who love me enough to tell me the truth say that my gifts were? Listen, we've all got friends who tell us what they think we want to hear. You need some friends who love you enough to tell you the truth. Because we can, as I've said, be disillusioned about what we're good at. And the final thing is this. I'd like you all this length to say, if I found my true north, where would this lead me to? I stand between you and your lunch now. But I want to close with a story of a dear, dear friend of mine. I was preaching in Belgium one year in Brussels. Never forgotten this. And I was speaking at a men's breakfast meeting. And um, this guy at the end of it looked at me and said, um, you mind if I make a comment? He said, yeah. I said, yes. He said, um, frankly, I don't believe a word of all that stuff. He said, but can you clarify one thing for me? I said, yeah, I hope so. He said, are you saying that ultimately, if we don't have God in our lives, everything we face, we ultimately face on our own? Actually, I thought that was a better summary of my talk than my talk. So I was happy to agree that was the case. I then learned a little of this man's story. At the age of 23, his daughter was 23, she had died from leukemia. And he was filled with bitterness and anger. And he, you know, apparently went around
started saying to folks that even if there is a God, he must be some kind of cosmic sadist to take away my sweet daughter. You know, every one of us in this cathedral today can kind of identify with that way of thinking, though God forbid we would ever end up where David ended up. I went away from him, I didn't hear anything from him. And then, do you remember fax machines? I was sitting in my office one day in the fax machine when I was a fax from David. This is what he wrote. He wrote, Mike, would you pray for me this evening? Because I'm being baptized and confirmed. This is the biggest moment in my life. His ministry today is counseling bereaved parents. Because he's found his true north. And his true north is to have a heart of compassion, not a heart of bitterness. His true north is to do what he thought he would never ever end up doing. And that is to leave behind his selfishness, to leave behind his hatred, to leave behind his bitterness. And step out of the fog and get headed where God was calling him to. Now, this season of Lent is a time for reflection. A time to try and reflect on your own life and honestly assess whether you've found your true north. Maybe it's time for you, my friend, to step out of the fog and to step into God's plan for your life. Go ahead. Earnestly seek your true north. Follow your internal compass. And let's see what happens. Let's pray. Father, we just begin by praying, come Holy Spirit. Lord, enter our hearts and convict us of those things that we need to hear from you. And Lord, I pray for any Christ follower in the cathedral today who's just truly knows that deep down inside they've lost their sense of true north. And Father, would you please, gently and wonderfully, call them back. For Lord, you long to see your people become the people that you want them to be. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And the people agreed and said... Amen.